Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast back on the 2nd of July in 2018. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. All right, let's go. Let's go. Chester does not like fireworks. I learned that a long time ago about Chester. You like to look at them, right? It's the sound. No, I get it. I get it. They make you nervous. Probably throw you back to some earlier time in your life when, yeah, get it. What do they call that? Post-traumatic stress syndrome? Fireworks kind of send Chester under his desk. Well, we won't, we're not setting off any fireworks. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro, and welcome. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the uh, old-time radio show where we play programs, old-time radio programs. We actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody loves these old shows. Good lineup tonight. Good lineup tonight. I hope you guys are doing well. It's uh, warm. We're finally having a little break in the heat today. I'm actually I'm actually recording this on Monday morning, July the 2nd. Normally I get this out on the weekend, but I couldn't this weekend for family reasons, and so I'm doing it Monday morning. And we finally are having a little break from the heat today. Still going to be in the 90s, but the humidity's down a little bit. Man, yesterday was just killer. Do you do you ever get out of your car? If you wear glasses, you get out of your car and, of course, your car's air-conditioned and you open the door and, boom, instantly your your glasses steam up and see. Man, that's the way it's been here yesterday. In fact, our some of our windows are just covered with steam from the humidity. So, well, that's St. Louis in the summertime. Great lineup tonight. We have an episode of Escape that you're really going to enjoy. It's a good one. It takes place between France and England, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we're going to do a, an, an episode of the um, uh, Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. And we're going to talk a little bit about Phil Harris, and he was just such a character. And this is a good episode. It's funny, and you're going to enjoy that. And then we're going to finish things up with a really dark episode of Gunsmoke. <laughs> a really dark episode. Gunsmoke uh, would come up with some really great villains, and tonight, he, this guy is in the top five. Top five for sure, I'm sure. Yeah, I, 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 no, I'm going to st- stick. Chester says, are you sure? Yeah, I think so. I think he's in the top five. So we have a great lineup, so everybody get comfortable, get cool, 
get yourself something cold to drink, pull up that easy chair and settle back because we're going to get started in just a minute. get things rolling this week with a pretty good episode of Escape. It was originally broadcast on August 31st, no, 21st, August 21st in 1954 on CBS. This one is entitled uh, Two and Two Make Four, and you'll understand the significance of that as we get into the story. And I'm not going to comment on the story, but I am going to comment on the setting. This takes place somewhere between England and France, right along the English Channel. Now, the narrowest part of the English Channel is the Strait of Dover, and it is about 31 miles from Calais, France, to Dover, England. And that's about where this story takes place. This was a very significant area during World War II. Hitler, of course, in Germany, occupied France, but the country they wanted the most was England, the United Kingdom, and Churchill. And there's very chilling photographs of Hitler standing on the coastline of France, looking out at the white cliffs of Dover, those uh, iconic cliffs that line that section of England, and saying that soon, he would be standing on English soil. Well, of course, that never happened. But uh, keep, a, keep that in mind as we listen to the story tonight. Okay, here we go. From August 21st, 1954, this is Escape and Two and Two Make Four. of the everyday grind ever dream of a life of romantic adventure want to get away from it all 
we offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are running over the fog-locked cliffs of Dover. By your side, a girl who believes you are a madman. And pursuing you, bent on destroying you, a man whose terrible secret you've stumbled upon and from whom there is no escape. Listen now as Escape brings you Walter Brown Newman's story, Two and Two Make Four. It hurt. I sat up and opened my eyes. Fog all around, thick and close and still. I could see trees and a few yards of dirt road. My watch was gone and my wallet. Rolled, slugged and rolled and dumped. But where? I scrambled to my feet and I stood there in the ditch, suddenly worried about the time. It would be bad to be late going aboard. As for the ship sailing without me, I I stepped onto the road. Which way led back to Calais? Someone was coming. Hello? Qui est là? Why don't you answer? I I can't see. Down the road, then across a field, alongside a brook. I ran till I thought my lungs would burst. I stopped to listen, but the blood was pounding so I couldn't be sure I wasn't followed. I ran some more. The brook went under a small bridge. On it, leaning against the stone wall, looking down at me, was a girl with a knapsack on her back. I climbed up the bank. Mademoiselle, s'il vous plaît, mademoiselle... I'm sorry, I, I don't speak French. Did you hear the, those shots? Shots? A few minutes ago, right past my ear, almost blew my head off. Well, you, well, you should tell the police or something. I, I have to be going. I have a long way to go. No, wait, wait, wait a minute. Sorry, I really. No, must... no, no, no. Wait, wait. What time is it, please? Well, not quite quarter to seven. The way it looks now, we'll have fog at least until noon. Noon? You mean it's a quarter of seven in the morning? Well, yes, of course, in the morning. Well, I've got to... Uh, Hold on, hold on. Uh, Which way is Calais? Calais? Well, that way, about 20 miles. 20? I've I've got to make my ship. Uh, You mind if I walk along with you? Well... uh... My name's David Parker. Mine's Haydock, Emily Haydock. I'm in the Merchant Marine, second mate on a freighter. (laughs) You want a walking trip or something? That's right. I figured, the knapsack... American? Yes. Me too. I I thought you were French at first. Why was that? Took it for granted. Most people in France are. Well, I don't understand. We're in England, not France. Why should you think that you... What do you mean, England? 
Didn't you just tell me we were 20 miles from Calais? Well, yes, but Calais is somewhere out there across the English Channel in France. And where do you say we are, you and me now? In England, of course, about two miles from Dover. Now, no, 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 look, 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 look. I, I, I've been robbed and dumped out here in the countryside and shot at, so please don't make jokes. I'm not. W- what's today, quick? Thursday, 10th of July. Why? Then we're in France. Look, I tell you, we're When not... I registered at the hotel in Calais last night, I noticed the date. It was the 9th of July. Now, look. You asked me where we are, and I told you. England, near Dover. I suppose I didn't see the sunrise in Calais just an hour ago. Sunrise? Sunrise, sunrise. What sunrise? I've been up since five. There's been no sun for a week. It's one of the worst fogs they've ever had. Oh, drop it, drop it. I tell you, I saw it. You're either joking or lying now, now, or crazy. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No more of that lying, that crazy, do you hear? No more of that crazy. Well, what else am I to think when you say you were shot at and you saw the sun? Sun today. And you insist you're in France when you're in England. All right, Miss Haydock. Turn around. Now, what do you see alongside the road? Gate. Stonewall. Yeah, yeah, and in front of the gate. A mailbox. Why? And what does it say on the mailbox? Villa Mon Bijou. I don't know what Bijou means, but it's French. French. Now, what do you say now? We're in England. You don't know where where to stop, do you? All right, all right. I'm going into this villa, whatever it is, and phone for a taxi to take me to my ship. I was going to offer you a lift, but now I'd sooner cut my tongue out. How do you like that? Oh, go to the devil. You're in England! Uh, bonjour. Uh, parlez anglais? Uh, anglais compris? Say, is there anyone here who speaks English? I, uh, I speak English. Oh, good, good. Uh, may, may I use your phone to call a taxi? Of course. Won't you come in? Thanks. I, uh, I have no money on me, Mr. Uh... Putney. Dr. Putney. I haven't a penny with me, doctor, but I'll be able to get some from the clerk at the hotel, and I'll send you whatever the call costs uh, with the taxi driver. Oh, not at all, not at all. There's the phone. Thanks. Hello? Hello? Oh, come on. Service is always a bit slow at this hour. I'm sorry. The fact is, I got angry with a silly girl out on the road. Did you? Yeah, you tried to kid me. Well... The joke will be on her when she's trudging along the road and sees me riding in my ease to Calais. I'll... Oh, come on. Riding to Calais? In a taxi. I wouldn't have minded if she'd let the joke drop, but no, she went on and on about this being England and that I was crazy to think otherwise. I'm afraid I don't understand the joke. I mean, uh, this is England. Look, I, I, I don't find it funny, Doctor. I thought I made that clear... The next one who tells me I'm in England, when I know I'm in France, I swear I'll take... You know you're in France? Yes. Yes. Sit down, young man. Isn't this France? England. Near Dover. Uh, How can I show you? Uh, Ah, here. Here's uh, a copy of the London Times. Yesterday's. Wednesday, July 9th. But the, the name on the mailbox, Villa Watsis, that's French. Most of the villas have names like that. Uh, Montbijou, Sanssouci. Still, it's England. Sit down. I'm a physician, and I'd like to ask oh, you... Oh, no, a... no. Yeah, young man! Young man! 
and two make four. I repeated it like a charm, like they told me in the hospital. When you feel unsure of yourself, remember, two and two make four. There's an explanation for everything. Don't doubt yourself. After a while, I stopped trembling. I opened the gate and went out onto the road. And there was the girl. Oh, everything all right? Did you uh, come back to say I told you so? No, I... Well, I thought you might need help. I thought that... Watch out. There's a truck coming. Well, there's an inn just around the curve. Get down. Get down. He might shoot you again. Get down. Mr. Parker, please. That was a backfire. That's all it was. Uh, uh, backfire? Of course. What else could it be? There's an inn just around the curve, and I have money. Wouldn't you like to have breakfast there and talk? Oh, I... Uh, I'm all confused. Anyone would be after a blow on the head. No, no, it's not just being slugged. I wish it were only that, but with a case like me that... You're not a case. Oh, that's just it. I am. About six weeks ago, unloading cargo, a crate hit me on the head, scrambled my memory. They sent me to the hospital, and the ship sailed without me. She's due back in Calais this afternoon. I was to report aboard if the treatment proved successful. They told me it was successful and discharged me yesterday, or maybe it wasn't yesterday and none of it happened and I'm imagining it all. Try not to worry. It'll all come back to you. Yeah, but suppose what comes back never really happened. That's the point, you see. That's the point. I remember a lot about yesterday, but what if I only think I remember and it's all in my... Now relax. We'll have breakfast in here. If you remember, you remember. Yeah, yeah, but do I? I recall leaving the hospital and going to a hotel. Then I went to an all-night restaurant, and I remember leaving a bar at daybreak. Oh, sit down, Miss Haydock, please. Yeah, I, re- I remember all that clearly. But an hour later, I'm in England, and that's impossible. Well, you might have wandered aboard a channel steamer. Oh, use your head. It's a two- or three-hour trip by boat. Well, an airplane, then. Oh, excuse me. I, I thought perhaps you'd like your coffee now while waiting for breakfast. Yeah. Uh, miss, uh, is there an airfield nearby? Oh, yes, sir, but it's not an object of interest for tourists today. Our churches is very nice, though. Uh, uh, how, how far away is it, uh, the airfield? Oh, you won't see no planes coming or going, sir. The BBC broadcast said no air traffic in or out of Dover for the sixth straight day. Oh, good morning, Mr. Smith Travers. Breakfast, Rosie. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, anything else for the present, sir? Hmm? No, no, no. No air traffic six days in a row. You'd think that would teach them, but will it? Uh, I beg your pardon. I leave it to you. Is there any reason for maintaining this undependable method of transportation? A method absolutely at the mercy of the elements, when there's a cheaper, better, less bothersome, simpler, and always certain way of crossing the channel. You mean the boats? No, no, of course not. The the tunnel, the channel, tunnel. Tunnel? Yes, of course. Uh, Rosie, I want coffee now. Uh, Right, Mr. Smith Travers. The channel tunnel. Twenty miles through solid, impermeable chalk. In at Dover, out at Calais. Less than an hour's drive. No oh, fuss. Uh, I never heard of it. Is, is, is it something recent? Recent? Oh, you're, you're strangers here. Uh, tourists, eh? Yeah. Hey, well, uh, you've heard of Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, yeah. He had it dug by the Sixth Corps of the Engineers of the Imperial Army. Took them three years. All done in secret, of course. 
for a surprise attack on England. You mean to say there's actually a tunnel beneath the English Channel in use? Certainly it's in use. I've been through it scores of times. Business, you know, import-export. Just drove back from Kelly a few hours ago. Oh, morning, Doctor. Good morning, Smith Travers. Uh, just advising them to go by way of the tunnel if they want to get to Kelly. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Much the best way. Uh, did it in 23 minutes this morning. Uh, new carburetor, you know. <laughs> well, good morning to you, sir. Miss. I uh, must have seemed like a lunatic doctor, not knowing I was in England. You see, I was in Calais, and an hour later I was in England, and I didn't understand how that was possible. Uh, I didn't know about the tunnel beneath the channel. Uh, try not to excite yourself, my boy. Everything will soon be all right. Uh, what? I've brought someone with me. Uh, Constable. Uh, this poor fellow? Poor fellow? You, you mean... Oh, you do think I... But I told you... I, I didn't know about the tunnel. I, I must have gone through the tunnel. He didn't know until Mr. Smith Travers told him. Yes, I heard. But Mr. Smith Travers is also of the firm conviction that we British are descended from the ten lost tribes of Israel, that Shakespeare never existed, and that after a bit more research, we'll be able to transmute base metals into gold. We know him and like him and uh, humor his eccentricities. Come along, Mr. Parker. I think it in the public interest that you not be on the public streets. Yeah, come along. Uh, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. I, I was in Calais at sunrise. I can prove it. I, I, I just remembered the name of the hotel. The Hotel de la Mar phoned them, and they'll tell you that, I, that, that there's a David Parker registered there. They have my passport at the desk. Let me go. You're hurting him, you big bully. I was in Calais. I was. Two and two make four. Two and two make four. Two and two make four. They took us to a room in the town hall. Dr. Putney, it turned out, was not only a physician, he was the local magistrate as well. For more than three hours, he questioned Miss Haydock and me in turn. He made us repeat our stories endlessly, where she met me, how I behaved, what I said, what she said, and all the rest of it. It was almost noon before he was finished. And watching the clock on the wall, my ship coming nearer to Calais with every tick, I was almost beside myself with anxiety. You need care, my boy, rest and help. Now, we have a fine institution in Folkestone near here which can give you that care. A few weeks, possibly days. Institution? institution? Look, I, I've got to get to Calais. Miss Haydock, will you try to convince him it's for the best? There's nothing wrong with me. I'll try once more to show you reality, Mr. Parker. You say you were in France at sunrise. I do, I was. And you insist you were in England an hour later. Look, please, please, call the Hotel de la Mer in Calais. I checked in there. There's bound to be a record of it. That will prove I'm telling the truth. And if the call is made and it doesn't prove you're telling the truth, will you take my advice about the institution? Yes. Constable, put through a call to the Hotel de la Mer in Calais. Yeah, very good, if the hotel bears out Mr. Parker's story, you'll let him go? Miss Haydock, if it turns out that Mr. Parker is right, uh, I, but how could he be? Two and two make four. Two and two make four. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I have the hotel, sir. Uh, uh, use the constable's phone, Mr. Parker. I'll, uh, I'll listen in on my extension. Uh, hello, desk clerk. Hello. 
Hello. Uh, hello. Is there a Mr. Parker registered there, David Parker? Parker? Uh, David Parker? Oh, we oui, there was, but uh, he has checked out since two hours ago. But he, uh, I, I mean, he couldn't have. You're mistaken. Oh, no, sir, I am not. Not if you mean the Monsieur Parker is an American seaman. I returned his passport personally when I paid his bill. I have the... I'm not even who I thought I was. All right, Dr. Putney, I'll go with you. No, wait. Before you do, let me speak to you in private. Please. May we, doctor? Would it be all right? I'll give you two minutes. Uh, Constable, we can arrange for an ambulance to Folkestone. Yes, sir. Mr. Parker. No, 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 that's not my name. Two and two make four. Yeah. Two and two make four. Uh-huh. You must have faith in yourself. If you're convinced you were in France one moment and in England an hour later, then that's the way it was. But it's a physical impossibility. No, it's not. You could have come through the tunnel. There is no tunnel. If a tunnel is the only explanation for what happened to you, then there is a tunnel. Two and two make four. Yeah. You really believe my story? I believe you. All right, then. All right. What do I do now? You tell me. Come on, you know the answer. I, 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 I find the man in the restaurant, the man who said there was a tunnel, uh, uh, Smith Travers. Right. Open the window. All right. I'll go first, and I'll help you down. Now, come on. Hey, here's my knapsack. I got it, got it, got it, got it. Now you. Time's up, I'm afraid. Uh, Miss Haydock, come back here. Miss Haydock, Mr. Mr. X, whatever your name is, constable, stop them. I'll do my best, sir. The fog hit us before we'd run 20 feet. We dodged around corners, then stopped at a garage and looked up Mr. Smith Travers' address in a directory. It proved to be a little villa like a dozen others I'd seen that day. There was no answer when we knocked at the door, so we waited. And before very long, Mr. Smith Travers drove up in a light truck. Look, 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 the valise I left at the hotel in Calais. He's got it. Good afternoon. I'll take that. Oh, oh, uh, yes, 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 of course. Yeah, my passport, too, please. Yes, uh, I see you've concluded the tunnel does exist. That's right. At last, you're the first who ever have. It's a bit of bad luck, for me, that is. If I hadn't hit a flat tire halfway through, the passport and valise would be in ashes by now. You, uh, phoned the hotel in Calais? Yes. Yes, yes, I, I thought you might. I heard you shouting at the inn about the hotel, so I drove over and... Didn't it make you doubt your senses when they told you you checked out? Oh, you have no idea. Yes, I was counting on that. Yeah, it rocked me, but only for a minute. How the devil did you get in my machine in the first place? Well, the way I figure, I was knocked on the head by some thug and robbed this morning in Calais. Whoever did it may have thrown me in your truck to get me out of sight. I was never so surprised in my life. I mean to say, I skidded near Dover, sideswiped a tree, and heard the back door bang open. When I stopped and went back, there you were lying with a bolt of my silk in your arms my breath away. When you started to groan and sit up, I was beside myself. I... What's the matter? It just occurred to me, you're not English. Mm. Bad thing to have someone not in the government and a foreigner to boot to know about the tunnel. Uh, security, you know. 
Do you mean the British government knows of the tunnel? No, it doesn't. No, I've sent letters to every prime minister since MacDonald, telling them about it. Charts, diagrams, descriptions. Useless? They think I'm a crank? <laughs> I, I, I can't blame them. What would Mr. Eisenhower say if you told him there's a tunnel between London and New York? See what I mean? It got acknowledgement just once. A CID man came around and blabbed the whole story to everyone. Told him to keep an eye on me as a dangerous lunatic. <laughs> the only way to protect the secret after that was to ride it like a mania, so I told everyone too. Best security measure ever devised. And now, however, there are three of us who really know about the tunnel. It's awkward. I don't know what to do. Oh, I can tell you exactly. You're going to take me back to Calais and now, otherwise I'll beat you to a pulp. I ought to anyway, making me doubt myself as you did. Yeah, yeah, taking you into the tunnel. Yes, that might be the best way. We'd never tell anyone, I swear it. Yeah. I don't want you to see the entrance and exit, though. You will have to wear blindfolds. Agreed. Now, let's get going, then. Yes, taking you into the tunnel is the best way. Say, how much longer before we're in the tunnel? You can take off the blindfolds now. We're in it. How wonderful. Uh, the tunnel? Uh, yes, they did a fine job, the Sixth Corps. That lot they got for it. Boney flung them in the Russian campaign when they'd finished and sort of it, they all died. Best way of keeping a secret, eh? How did you learn of it? Reading in the British Museum. I was broke and unemployed. I found an old diary by one of the engineers. Investigated and found it was true. Wrote to the government, told them about that. Well, it was too good to let it waste, so I set up a small uh, import-export business. Cheaper transportation gives me an edge on my competitors. Are we in Calais? Well, no, but uh, it's as far as you go. I, I've got to kill you. <gasps> I can't let you live. I, it's too dangerous now that you know. The shotgun failed me twice today. Perhaps uh, the revolver... Oh. Get out of the truck, please. Unless you want your blood all over the young lady, please get oh, All right. Now, uh, perhaps... Well, I won't think you cowardly if you turn your back. Listen. Oh, come now. No temporizing. Just take it. Yep. Oh, dash it all. I think I'm going to faint. Help me get him back into the truck, huh? Just let me sit here for a moment. Yeah. David? Huh? We'll tell the authorities the truth about the tunnel and all. Uh -huh. Everyone ought to know. Yes. It's too good a thing. It makes travel and trade and communication so simple. We've no right to keep it a secret. Check. We'll tell the authorities. <laughs> We came to the end of the tunnel at exactly two o'clock by Miss Haydock's watch. Time and to spare in order to board my ship. We left Mr. Smith Travers in the truck and made our way into what was apparently a small warehouse. And from there, through a door. We found ourselves on the corner of a street, much like any other street in Calais. A fog had rolled in since sunrise as thick as the one we'd left in England. 
Oh, oh, one moment. I, uh, I want to make a note of this street or we'll never find the tunnel again. Hey, you got a pencil? Mm-mm. Oh, never mind. I have one. There's no street sign. Oh, up there on the, uh, side of the building. They don't put them on lampposts like we do in the States. All right, I've got it. Say, uh, when do you get back to the States? September 1st. School term starts on the 10th. I teach kindergarten in Baltimore. Oh, we're supposed to put in at Baltimore Christmas week. Well, that's marvelous. We could have Christmas Eve together. Yeah, New Year's too, maybe. I'll look forward to that. You're right. Meanwhile, won't you? Oh, of course. You know, I, uh, I'll never be able to thank you enough for what you did. What made you believe in me so strongly? Oh, I don't know. You see, I... What's the matter? I'm not sure we're walking toward the harbor. That's the trouble with a foreign city. You turn a corner and you're lost. And this dirty fog is so... Well, let's try this way. Would that be a policeman in the doorway? Where? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, parlez anglais. A little. Which way is the harbor? Uh, uh, turn at the next corner, to the left, and walk four streets. Well, thank you, thank you. Oh, uh, uh, how do you pronounce the name of the street I've written here? Street? Yeah. There's no street. No street? What, what does it say? In English, uh, this way to the air raid shelter. We have put them on almost every building in Calais. Air raid shelter? Then we'll never be able to find our way back to the tunnel. Eh? Gendarme, are you sure? But of course. As sure as I am that two and two make four. Escape, produced and directed by David Friedkin and Morton Fine, has brought you Two and Two Make Four, a story by Walter Newman. Featured in the cast were Shep Mankin, Joyce McCluskey, Tudor Owen, and Richard Peel. Also heard were Betty Harford, Dick Ryan, Melitza Milo, and James Barrett. Your announcer, Bill Anders. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week. You're on a catch sailing the coral seas, snaking your way through the tricky channel toward an island of black pearls. While on the shore, waiting for you to land, is the man who has sworn your death and from whom there is no escape. So listen next week when Escape brings you Robert Tallman's story, The King of Oanatu. Stay tuned now for Night Watch, which follows immediately over most of these stations. America listens most to the CBS Radio Network. From August 21st, 1954, that was Escape. The name of that episode was Two and Two Makes Four. 
Pretty good, wasn't it? Pretty good. Interesting, he, he had Napoleon building that tunnel. Well, Napoleon did not build that tunnel, but that tunnel has since been built. The, um, what do they call it? The, the Channel Tunnel, or the Channel, was opened in 1994. And it's 31 miles long, and it does cross over right there uh, under the Strait of Dover. It's um, 250 feet below sea level. No, excuse me. It, the tunnel runs 250 feet below the seabed. Think about that. It's the longest undersea portion of any tunnel in the world. And cars are not allowed through it unless they're riding on a train, a ferry-type train or a shuttle train. The only thing that runs under that tunnel is trains. And there's three types of trains that run. You can you can run, pa- they run passenger trains like the Eurostar. They run these, uh, what do they call them? Shuttle roll-on, roll-off trains where you can actually, kind of like in a ferry boat, you, you, you drive your car right up onto the train and you can either stay in your car or you can get out, I guess, and walk around. Or there's also freight trains go under there. And the speed limit in the tunnel for the trains is 99 miles an hour. Now, that might seem awfully fast, but get this. It is about 300 miles approximately from London to Paris, and the Eurostar makes that trip in about two hours and 20 minutes. So it averages around 156 miles an hour. Amazing. They just don't have rail service like that in the United States. Uh, kind of interesting that, that that shuttle is, or that tunnel was built. And like I said, it was opened in 1994. And now you can go under from Calais to, not Dover, it actually goes to Folkestone, which is about 10 miles uh, south and west of Dover. But you can do it in uh, on the train in about 20 minutes. <laughs> There'll be bluebirds over the white cliffs of Dover tomorrow. Just you wait and see. There'll be The shepherd will tend his sheep The valley will bloom again And Jimmy will go to sleep In his own little room again There'll be Whoa! 
of Dover Tomorrow Just you wait and see The shepherd will tend his sheep The valley will bloom again And Jimmy will go to sleep In his own little room again There'll be bluebirds over The white cliffs of Dover Tomorrow Just you wait and see. That was Vera Lynn. That song was released in nineteen forty two. And by that time, England had well been into World War II for some time. And you can just imagine how they, uh, the British felt about protecting their homeland. And you can just picture Hitler standing over there looking, looking at England and saying, Where Napoleon failed, I shall succeed. I shall land on the shores of Britain. You know, I was looking at a nostalgic web page, and there was uh, one man that wrote this note. He said, three days before the invasion of Normandy, my father, at the time who was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, received a letter from his father, my grandfather, who said he felt sure or suspected that an invasion into France would happen within the next week, knowing that his son, my dad, was there. He said that he wished his son well, that he wished he would be safe. He sent his prayers, and he quoted lyrics from that song we just heard, The White Cliffs of Dover. There'll be bluebirds over The white cliffs of Dover Tomorrow, just you wait and see. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy Potentious or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> On our comedy corner tonight, we're going to visit with Phil Harris and Alice Fay with an episode of their show from November the 6th, 1953, 
And the title of this one is From Here to Eternity. Now, we're no strangers to Phil Harris here on Boomer Boulevard. We love him, but we haven't played too many episodes of the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Well, maybe we'll correct that in the future because some of these were very, very funny. Phil Harris was born in Indiana, but he grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's why he always identified himself as a Southerner. In fact, his Hallmark song was That's What I Like About the South. You know, in real life, his parents were circus performers. That's right. He grew up in a circus. In fact, his father was the circus band leader. So the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. He actually gave Phil his first job as a drummer. Harris began his adult musical career by moving to the West Coast, and he landed a job in San Francisco where he co-founded a band with another individual. He played at the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco for a number of years. But in 1932, he moved to Los Angeles, and there he formed his own band, where he became both the lead singer and the band leader. Well, one thing led to another, and by 1936, Harris was well-known enough that he was asked to become the musical director of the Jack Benny program. And there again, he sang and led his band. When it became obvious that uh, Harris had a knack for giving snappy one-liners, he became a regular member of the cast, portraying himself as a hip, hard-drinking Southerner whose good nature overcame his massive, massive ego. He gave all the others on the cast nicknames like Jackson for, for Jack Benny, for Livy for Mary Livingston, and Dennis Day he frequently <laughs> referred to as Hey Kid. Harris continued to appear on Jack Benny's program from 1948 to 1952, even though he and his wife Alice Faye began co-hosting the Fitch Bandwagon in 1946. This was a comedy variety program that uh, followed Benny on Sunday nights. The show started off as a showcase for big bands, but later it morphed into a situation comedy and was renamed the Phil Harris and Alice Faye Show, and that's what we're going to hear tonight. Harris played a vain, stumbling husband, and Alice Faye played his sarcastic but long-suffering wife. The show was very successful. It ran through 1954. Really, it was probably a victim of television. And during that time, Phil Harris had made a number of hit songs, too. Most of them bordered on novelty songs. Of course, like we said earlier, his theme song was That's What I Love About the South, or Like About the South. And uh, there was constant jokes about the length of that song and how he would keep adding verses. But here's another song that was a big hit of his, and I'm going to play it now because it figures in to our storyline tonight. So here's Phil Harris with The Thing, and then we're going to just go right in to the Phil Harris Alice Faye show from 1953 entitled From Here to Eternity. I was walking down the beach one bright and sunny day I saw a great big wooden box a-floating in the bay I pulled it in and opened it up and much to my surprise Ooh, I discovered a right before my eyes Ooh, I discovered a right before my eyes I picked it up and ran to town as happy as a king I took it to a guy I knew who'd buy most anything but this is what he hollered at me as I walked in his shop oh get out of here with that before I call a cop oh get out of here with that before I call a cop 
I turned around and got right out of running for my life. And then I took it home with me to give it to my wife. But this is what she hollered at me as I walked in the door. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. Oh, get out of here with that. And don't come back no more. I wandered all around the town until I chanced to meet a hobo who was looking for a hand out on the street. He said he'd take most any old thing. He was a desperate man. But when I showed him the, he turned around and ran. Oh, when I showed him the, he turned around and ran. I wandered on for many years, a victim of my fate, until one day I came upon St. Peter at the gate. And when I tried to take it inside, he told me where to go. Get out of here with that, and take it down below. Oh, get out of here with that, and take it down below. The moral of the story is, if you're out on the beach, and you should see a great big box, and it's within your reach. Don't ever stop and open it up. That's my advice to you. Cause you'll never get rid of them. No matter what you do. Oh, you'll never get rid of them. No matter what you do. Hey, you know, Curly, there's one thing that bothers me. What's that, Ellie? Well, you're an actor and a singer and you got a radio show and you do television guest spots and you play the drums and you play golf and... How do you do all those things? Magnificently. RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, and first in television, presents the Bill Harris Alice Faye Show. Here is the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, transcribed, written by Ed James and Phil Shukin, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, John Hubbard, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, and yours truly, Phil Foreman. The title of tonight's little doozy is How Long Will the Genius of Lovable, Laughable Phil Harris Go Undiscovered or From Here to Eternity? stars of the RCA Victor program, Alice Faye and Phil Harris. There's an old saying that every worm will turn, but Phil Harris is one worm who hasn't quite made it. Today, however, promises to be different. RCA, please drop a line. My show is fine and I'm divine <laughs> I'd be gorgeous on TV P.S. I love me <laughs> La-da-dee-ba-ba-ba Phil, is that you? No, it's Art Linkletter smelling like sunshine <laughs> Sure it's me, who'd you think it was? Oh, what's the matter, Phil? Are you upset about something? Upset? Me? <laughs> Why should I be upset? I never get upset. I got nerves of iron, nerves of steel. Well, something must be wrong. Do you know what you're drinking? Water. <laughs> Ooh, how do you like that? Now they'll take away my good merit badge. Say, honey, you'd better get in a good mood. 
You know, I invited Mr. McDevitt to dinner. Now you've done it. Now you've done it. Now you spoil my whole day. Why, Phil... Mr. McDevitt, there's a fine character for you. Now, look, honey, when Mr. McDevitt was made head of the record division of RCA, you said you wanted to throw him a party. Alice, please, I don't want to talk about Mr. McDevitt. I don't want to think about Mr. McDevitt. I don't ever want to hear his name. Mr. McDevitt? Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) Mr. McDevitt. Talk about Indians being Indian givers. He takes it away before he even gives it to you. Oh, Phil, is that all that's worrying you? Look, he promised me a solid gold record, and I want it. But, Phil... He gave Mario Alonzo a gold record. I know. He gave Dinah Shore a gold record. Well, sure, but... And both of them together ain't half as pretty as I am. Well, Phil, you only get the award for selling a million records. I sold a million records. How about Preacher and the Bear? Well, look, honey, when Mr. McDonald... And what about... That's what I like about the South. That must have sold a million copies, not even counting the Yankees. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And another one, young lady. How about The Thing? I suppose that didn't sell a million copies. My mother's got the roof shingled with it. The Thing sold a million... Then why don't I get that gold record? I got a good mind to walk out on that RCA. That's what I got a good mind to do. I ain't got a... Winter's coming on. Hi, Curly. Okay, so winter's coming on. RCA may be the best, but it ain't the only sponsor in the world. Hi, Alice. Well, name two others. Hello, Mr. Harris. I'll name a dozen. There's, Hello, uh... Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Harris. How about the company that sells soap? That has a familiar ring. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Fay. How many, uh, how many does that mean? <laughs> so far, you've got a clue. Well, I'm thinking, honey. I'm just thinking. Hello, Elliot. What are you doing here? Now, you sure they sell soap, huh? Positive. Oh, I just happened to be in the neighborhood. I thought I'd drop in. <laughs> Well, so long, Elliot. Drop in any old time. Well, I got news for you. RCA better watch their P's and G's. That's all I gotta say. Hi, Curly. Hi, Alice. Hello, Elliot. I made it. (laughs) Oh, hi, Elliot. What are you doing here? Oh, I just happened to be in the neighborhood, and I thought I'd drop in. Oh, yeah. Hey, um... Elliot. Yes, Curly? Is... Is this the first time you've been in here? Why do you ask, Curly? I don't know. I just got a feeling this whole thing happened before and we're playing it back at a more convenient time. Hey, what's the package, Elliot? Hmm? The package. Oh, I found it on the porch. It's from RCA. RCA? Phil, look out, you'll break it. Oh, honey, it. give me that package. Okay, Curly. A package from RCA and he just holds it. Alice, look. At what? Have you ever seen a package that looks more like a solid gold record? Open it up. I'm afraid. You think we ought to soak it in water first? Oh. <laughs> put it down. I'll open it. Okay, honey, but now take it easy now. Don't bruise it. Oh, it's got to be a gold record. It's got to be a gold record. It's got to be... Phil! Yeah? It's a gold record. How do you like that? Them cheap... It's what? Phil, you made it. Oh, I made it. You hear that, Elliot? I made it. I got a gold record. It's solid gold. Boy, the teeth they could fill with that thing. (laughs) Is it heavy? Oh, yeah, man. Weighs a ton. Let me hold it, huh? Elliot, get them pawn shop mitts away from me. (laughs) Can't I even touch it? Don't even breathe near it. Hey, Alice, 
You know what we got to do now? We're going to build a trophy room or something. No, you don't have to do that, Curly. I'll stop breathing. (laughs) I got to protect this record, Elliot. I got to get something to show it off to Mr. McDevitt. Hey, hey, I know what we can do. There's a wonderful antique store only five blocks away. Real high class. They got all kinds of things. Trophy cases, display cases. Well, gee, that's what we want. Let's get on there. Wait Wait a minute, honey. Here's the card that came with the record. Well, let me see that. Yeah. Hey. Hey, listen to this. What? <clears throat> From RCA Victor and T. McDevitt, with sincere appreciation to a great comedian, entertainer, and vocalist. They sure hit it on the head, didn't they? I'd say it was more of a glancing blow. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, look, Curly, you're a great guy, and I love you, but uh, great comedian? Oh, you think I ain't, huh? Let me tell you something, Hastings. I'm a million laughs, you hear me? Million of them. Let's start with one. Okay. <laughs> you want one, huh? This'll fracture you. You know what I mean? I got a melancholy girl. She's got a shape like a melon and a face like a collie. <laughs> That's pretty good just for a throw, ain't it? That's job. It's like... What do you want to try for now, entertainer or vocalist? Elliot, let's get down to that antique shop, will you? Curly, entertainer or vocalist? What are you kidding? Entertainer. Just listen to this. Sure. How slow me thinks this old moon wanes. It lingers my desire. Come, fair Apollo, our nuptious hour is near. Well, that leaves vocalist. <laughs> okay, I'm going to sing, and then we're going down to that antique shop. You know something? I got a feeling this is going to be the luckiest day of my life. They call you Lady Luck, but there is room for doubt. At times you have a very unladylike way of running out. You're on a date with me. The pickings have been lush. And yet before this evening is over, you might give me the brush. You might forget your manners. You might refuse to stay. And so the best that I can do is pray. Be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Be a lady, luck be a lady. Luck let a gentleman see. Let a gentleman see how nice a dame you can be. How nice you can be. I know the way you treated other guys you've been with. Luck be a lady tonight. Tonight be a lady love. Lady doesn't leave her escort. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. It isn't nice. It isn't nice. A lady doesn't wander all over the room and blow on some other guy's dice. So let's keep the party polite. Never get out of my sight. Stick with me, baby. I'm the fella you came in with. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady. Luck be a lady tonight. Whenever you're ready, we ought to go steady. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Luck if you've ever been a lady to begin with. Luck be a lady tonight. Stick with me, luck. Stick with me, lady luck. Let a gentleman see how nice a dame you can be. 
I know the way you've treated other guys you've been with. Be a lady with me. Lady doesn't leave her escort. It isn't fair. It isn't nice. A lady doesn't wander all over the room and blow on some other guy's dice. It isn't nice. So let's keep the party polite. Never get out of my sight. Stick with me, baby. I'm the fella you came in with. Lock me a lady. Lock me a lady. Lock me a lady tonight. How much further is this antique shop, Elliot? The antique store is old. Half a block, a couple hundred feet. And you're sure it's a good one now, huh? Good? It's the best. Well, they just better have something special for my solid gold record, boy. That's all I got to say. Hey, Curly. You got that record for The Thing, huh? Yeah. The Thing. What a solid slab of shellac. <laughs> you, uh... Did you ever find out what The Thing was? I know. What are you talking about? I know what it was. I was there, wasn't I? No kidding? Hey, Curly. What was the thing? Elliot, you couldn't expect me to tell you a secret like that. Well, I'm your best friend. I know, but Curly, I... Curly, if I tell anybody, may I become a page-turner for Liberace? <laughs> what more can I say? Oh, okay. You're my buddy, huh? You betcha. I'm going to tell you. Lean over. Yeah? Hey, you ain't going to believe this. But the thing was a... What? Musical. What the hell is A what? <laughs> you mean that it actually... Every time. <laughs> well, if that ain't... Well, why didn't everybody figure Wait it? a minute, Ali. Wait a minute. Hmm? Hold it. Is this the place, the shop? Oh, yeah. Classy-looking joint, ain't it? Oh, man, you said that right. Look up there. Look at them sterling silver letters. J.C. Nickel and Sons. Mm. And look at that platinum doorknob. Well, use it. Let's go in. Yeah, okay. Yes. Uh, I'm Phil Harris, and I want to buy a trophy case. I see. Would that be for pints, fifths, or quarts? <laughs> no, it's for a record. Oh, barrels, casks, or vats. <laughs> Look, Mr. Nichols. Hey, what's this thing over here? Ooh, you're an observant little rascal. That is a nail-studded contour chair for Indian fakers with weak backs. Hey, you ought to try this, Curly. Elliot, that's for Indian fakers. That's what I said. You ought to try it. <laughs> Ooh, that was a goodie. I had a feeling this was going to be one of those days. 
Hey, now, what do you want, red eyes? I still want the same thing. You see, Mr. Nickel, I was the one who sang the thing, and... And you want some place to hide. No, no. I want a trophy case to put my gold record in. You see? Now, wait a minute, Curly. I think I got something. What is it? I don't know. But ain't it terrific? Yeah, my dear sirs, for your information, that is a 17th century hutch. The 17th century rabbits? Yeah. Do they get that old? Man, what a family they'd have. <laughs> Why, they ain't enough carrots in the whole uh, world. Mr. Harris, when you were a boy, which seems ridiculous at the moment, <laughs> you probably referred to a hutch as a sideboard. Oh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure. Is that what that is? Hey, wouldn't that be great for your record, Curly? Oh, sure. Sure. What are you, nuts or something? What's That's matter? all I need, a 15-foot sideboard for one record. Yeah, a 15-foot $300 sideboard. Now, wait a minute, Curly, wait a minute. See this place down here? Well, that's just the right size for an RCA Victor 21-inch television set. Yeah, with magic monitor and rotomatic tuning. You had to get that in. Look, you take care of your business and I'll take care of mine. <laughs> Go ahead, Ellie. Yeah, then over here on this side, it's just the right size for an RCA Victor automatic changer with a golden throat speaker to match your golden voice. Shades of Christopher Wren, a 17th century jukebox. <laughs> hey, but Elliot, uh, it's so big. Hey, let's face it, it's bigger than all of us. <laughs> Wait a minute, uh... Say, Mr. Nickel, uh, uh, what's that little fence on top for? You, the things they ask. <laughs> is that little fence, Mr. Wormwood, is a plate rail. Hey, can't you see it, Curly? You can put your record on the plate rail. Then if you get more, you'll have room for them, too. Yeah. Hey, it'd hold a lot of them, wouldn't it? I could fill up that whole top with gold records. You should live so long. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay, we're going to take it, huh? Elliot, I'll write out a check and you tell him where we want it sent. Okay. Oh, we don't send things. You carry them. Carry them? You mean this? No, we don't have to carry this, Curly. It's got casters. We just push. Well, I don't know, Elliot. It's five blocks well, home. sure, but it's downhill. <laughs> yeah, that ought not to be too hard, huh? Cool. We can push it down there. Sure. Okay, Elliot. Grab a hold. I get my... All right, push it over. All right, open the door. Let's go. Oh, dear. I mustn't waste a moment. Hello, Mary. This is John. Get the children off the street. Phil Harris is pushing a sideboard home. <laughs> I thought you said this was downhill. I don't understand it. When we went to the store, it was downhill. Hey, hey, bud. Hold it, hold it a minute, Elliot. Hold yeah, it. all right. Hey, buddy, over here. Hey, you want to buy a hot? A hot what? Anything, who cares? Hey, how about a hot lacrosse racket? You can't hardly get none of them no more. Push, Elliot. Okay. Three dollar bills, hot water bottles, hot Alice Faye records. Hey, how about Wait a minute, a nice... hold it, Elliot, hold it, hold it. All right. 
You ain't got no Alice Pay records. Oh, I ain't, huh? Well, you just listen to this. <laughs> Keep it gay, keep it light, keep it fresh, keep it fair, let it bloom every night, give it room, give it air, keep your love a lovely dream and never wake it, make it happy and be happy as you make it, let it sing like a nightingale in May, keep it gay. Keep it free, or you'll frighten it away. Take it easy and enjoy it while you take it. Keep it gay, keep it gay, keep it gay. Keep it gay, keep it light, keep it fresh, keep it fair. Let it bloom every night, give it room, give it air. Keep your love a lovely dream and never wake it. Make it happy and be happy as you make it. Let it sing like a nightingale in May. Keep it gay, keep it free, or you'll frighten it away. Take it easy and enjoy it while you take it. Keep it gay. Hey, wait a minute, Curly. Hold it, will you? Why, that thing's heavy. Oh, come on, Elliot. You can't stop now. We're practically in my driveway. Okay. Come on, let's go. Wait a minute. Hold it, Elliot. Hold it. Now, what's the matter? Well, it ain't rolling. I think that... Oh, no. Now, both of them back casters done snapped off. Well, back to the drawing board. No, now, wait. <laughs> now, look, maybe if we pick it up... Oh, we... fine. Sure. If we carry it, then we can't see where we're going. But look, Elliot, if we... Uh-oh. What? Look who's coming. Hiya, fellas. Where you going with Grant's tomb? <laughs> Why, we're taking it to Richmond, General Lee. Right, Daniel Boone? Hmm? <laughs> oh, yes. And we'd like to have it while the calla lilies are in blue. <laughs> Hey, Julia, sure just in time. We need you. We need you to see for us. Croc! <laughs> no, Julius, no, honest. Look, you see, when we carry this thing, we can't see. So will you be a good kid and steer us around to the den? Well, let me put it this way. No. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Julius, if you don't help us, I'll break every bone in your miserable little body. Well, that's different. I'm always happy to help people if they ask me nice. <laughs> okay, then. All right, let's go, Elliot. You lift the front end up. Hey, Curl, you better take the front end. If I walk backwards, I get dizzy. In your case, how do you tell? <laughs> All right, will you stop the talk already? 
Look, I'll take the front end. Okay, Elliot? Okay. All right, I got it. Uh, Okay, Julius, let's... Julius, where'd you go? I'm up on top, steering. (laughs) Get down off of there, you little fink. It's heavy enough without you. You want I should tell you where to go? Then must. Go ahead, Elliot. March. I'm marching. I'm marching. That's it, fella. Straight ahead. You're doing fine. Yeah. That a boy. A little to the right. Yeah. To the right! Stop pulling my ear, will you? I gotta steer you, don't I? Keep off, fellas. Now you're getting it. Yeah. Where's the swimming pool? Over to your right, a little bit more. A <laughs> little bit more to the right. Yeah. Keep on. Move. 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 You find a swimming pool, Move. okay, Mr. Harris? Oh, you... <laughs> so long, suckers. <laughs> well, sideboard's in the den, Elliot. We did it again. My end fits in there perfect, man. Yeah, it does, huh? My end is out. It's what? The sideboard's bigger than the den. Now what are we going to do? Are you kidding? There's only one thing we can do. We got to enlarge the den. Hey, Curly, the den's finished. Well, then why are they still hammered? Gotta put the porch back on. Oh. Hey, Curly, the porch is back on. boy. But we got trouble. The den's so big, the porch is blocking the driveway. We'll tell them to build a new driveway. Phil, Phil, what's going on in here? What? The orchestra, the Klieg lights, the grandstand. Honey, Mr. McDevitt's going to be here any second. But, Phil... Alice, I can't talk. Phil, I... he's here. Mr. McDevitt's here. He is, huh? Hey, fellas, he's here. Shall I start scattering the rose petals now, Curly? No, not yet. Wheelie gets close up. Oh, Phil, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard of. It is, of. huh? I, You're I... just jealous because you never got a solid gold record. Well, Harris, what's the occasion? What's the celebration for? Welcome, Mr. McDevitt. Welcome to the official opening of the Phil Harris Trophy Room. Why, this is ridiculous, Mr. Harris. Making all this fuss over a little nipper riddle album. Over a... Wait a minute. Hold everything. Stop it. Stop it. Stop the music. You sent me a little nipper riddle album again? Naturally. We listen to your show. Again. <laughs> What about the record? I got a solid gold record. So that's what happened to it. Well, you send it right over to H.O. Pinza, where it belongs. Oh, no. This is Phil again. We're a little late, folks. Thanks, and good night. Good night, everybody. Included in this program transcribed were Frank Nelson, Herb Butterfield, and Herb Bygram. The part of Julius was played by Walter Tetley. This has been an NBC Radio Network production.
Tomorrow, hear Theatre Royal at a new time on the NBC Radio Network. That was the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from November the 6th, 1953. Name of that one was From Here to Eternity. Pretty funny show. From Here to Eternity, of course, was a big film right about that time. Thus, the uh, salute to that film. Phil Harris was very popular for a number of years. After his radio show went off the air, he made a lot of guest appearances. He did a lot of movies. In 1956, he co-starred in the film Goodbye, Lady" with Walter Brennan and Brandon DeWilda. Remember that? I think it was later renamed The Boy with a Laughing Dog. It was really a precious film. He made uh, a number of other movies. He was in The High and the Mighty. Well, there's quite a list. He made a lot of guest appearances on TV shows in the 60s and 70s, including the Steve Allen Show, the Kraft Music Hall, Burke's Law, F Troop, uh, the Hollywood Palace, a lot of musical variety programs. And then he worked as a voice actor for a number of years. He did a lot of, uh, of animated films like Robin Hood for Disney in 1973, The Aristocrats in 1970, but probably he was most famous for being the voice of Baloo the Bear in The Jungle Book in 1967. Of course, Phil Harris always made a joke about being, I don't know if you want to say a drunk, but the fact that he liked to drink a lot. And I don't know if that was true in real life or not. But of course, Dean Martin had that same shtick. And one night, I would guess this was probably in the late 60s, Phil Harris appeared on the Dean Martin show. And here's a routine that they did that I think is very, very funny. Just to set this up, they were both wearing tuxedos. (laughs) And they had in front of them a silver tea set. And they were drinking tea. Dean, you dog, you just give me one kid. I'm driving. Oh, all right. Yeah, baby. Anything for a pal. I just want you to, you know, enjoy yourself. You just sit there and sip. Say, Mr. Martin. Yeah? Mr. Martin. Yeah, baby. It was nice of you to have me here tonight. Now, I was as nervous as can be when I heard that you picked me out of all the folks that you thought to invite. Well, Mr. Harris, yeah. Oh, Mr. Harris. Yeah, baby. When it's party time, that's what I always do. I get a couple guys like you and some milk and cookies, too. (laughs) On the level, Mr. Martin, on your tea tray, Mr. H. Oh, this is strong tea. Melted my spoon here. Nothing like a little afternoon soiree, is there, baby? You know something? This is nectar of the gods. Now, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Let me go again here, baby. Go ahead. Don't hang your head here. We may not be back this way. What is it? Orange Pico, 1959. Right. That was a very good year. Around this show, we go first class, pal of mine. Look. Now, Mr. Mott. Oh, Mr. Harris. Mr. Mott. Yes, Mr. Harris. Is it true that you do everything yourself? 
writing all the stuff you say and rehearsals every day. You must be as busy as a little elf. Oh, Mr. Harris. Yeah, baby. Yeah, Mr. Harris. Who are you coming through? Every word you said is absolutely true. In the studio each day, getting ulcers, getting gray. Oh, that's just awful, Mr. Martin. Oh, that's just silly, Mr. A. You know something, baby? You gotta come by my place sometime, some afternoon for Coco. I wait for Coco. Would you come by sometime? Yeah, I'll come over and I'll, I'll bring the marshmallows and we'll have a tea to tea. I'll tell you, but Alice, Who? a tea to tea. I'll go for that. <laughs> but, but what happened? Alice says you're never home, Phil. Put that pinky in mine, too. <laughs> just, just hit it one way. Oh, you That's a blacksmith job of I ever Well, look, when you invite me to come over to your show, I know right away that I'm going to be in for a lot of long hours of painstaking rehearsals. You know what I mean? So naturally, Alice has just got to understand that, huh? Oh, right? Now, Mr. Mars. What is it, Harry? I said, Mr. Mars. Yes, Now, she'll be wondering just what took so long to do. I won't bat an eye because when she asked me where I was, I can always say that I was here with you. Oh, Mr. Harris! Oh, Mr. Harris! It starts to take, you know, we're trying to get making you. Oh, when they tell us we must stay with those chorus girls all day. <laughs> don't tell Alice, Mr. Martin. Don't tell Jeannie, Mr. H. You know something, if I didn't have my tea every afternoon, I am the most miserable uh, fella that you ever met. I just get so grumpy and I, oh, I just swell up all over. I get, I get my rings won't fit and I get the least. And I can't get my shoes. Oh, I am so, I love a little tea in the afternoon. Well, it don't hurt none. It's so brisk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and all that too. Yeah, sure. Thank Go you. with me, baby. Uh, I'm all right. Uh, and I hope he's with us. The band leader's drinking his out of a saucer. <laughs> What'd you say, baby? You have more music and less brown. That's not what you have here. What'd you say, hon? I said uh, that, uh, 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 no, I said, well, this is the what? only thing that keeps it going. Oh, well, so, you know what I told you to tell you? You're working too hard. Uh, You're much too hard. Look, you want to approach television the way I do. You listen to me? Yes. Now, Mr. Mutt. Mr. Mutt. Yes, Mr. Harris. Now the Harris way is easy and the best. Yep. Now when they call you, never go. Come in just before the show. Settle back and let the cue cards do the rest. Well, Mr. Harris. Yeah, there. Oh, Harris. Yeah. You have come up with a way to save my soul. I may never be the same, but I'm awfully glad you came. Thank you kindly, Mr. Mark. Well, it's a pleasure, Mr. Ray. Phil Harris and Dean Martin. I guess, I don't know about Phil Harris, but I know that Dean Martin was famous for not rehearsing. They would set his show up all week, and he would come in literally on the last day 
and just strictly read the cue cards or ad lib it and just have a lot of fun that way. And uh, maybe Phil Harris did the same thing, but obviously that's what they were referring to in that routine. That was Dean Martin and Phil Harris from, like I said, probably the late 60s. Phil Harris and Alice Faye were married in 1941, and they remained married for 54 years until Phil died in Rancho Mirage, California in 1995 of a heart attack. He was 91 years old. Alice Faye died of cancer just three years later. Gerald Notchman, in his really wonderful book, Raised on Radio, said that uh, the Phil Harris of private life was much different than the public Phil Harris. In his private life, that he was a quiet and simple, humble man. I kind of like to think that that was true. He was also very, very talented. The simple bare necessities Forget about your worries and your strife I mean the bare necessities Or Mother Nature's recipes That bring the bare necessities of life Wherever I wander, wherever I roam I couldn't be found off my big home Bees are buzzing in the tree to make some honey just for me. When you look under the rocks and plants and take a glance at the fancy ants, then maybe try a few. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you. Look for the necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities. That's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Now when you pick a pawpaw or a prickly pear and you prick a raw paw, well next time beware. Don't pick the prickly pear by the paw. When you pick a pear, try to use the claw. But you don't need to use the claw when you pick a pair of the big paw paw. Have I given you a clue? The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to you.
this is really living. So just try and relax. Yeah, cool it. Fall apart in my backyard. Because let me tell you something, little britches. If you act like that bee acts, uh-uh, you're working too hard. And don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. When you find out you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. as you can tell from the music, it is time for Gunsmoke, everybody. And we really have a doozy, a doozy of a Gunsmoke episode tonight. This one was first uh, broadcast on CBS on May the 7th, back in 1955. It was written by John Meston. And one of the things John Meston can do, and he didn't do it every week, which is great. He only did it sporadically. But when he did it, it really jumped out at you. And that is creating really horrible villains. I mean, really mean people. And this is what you're being fed tonight. This is a story entitled Potato Road. And among its guest stars is John McIntyre. Remember John McIntyre? In real life, he was married to Jeanette Nolan. I remember him mostly from replacing Ward Bond as the wagon master on the old wagon train program. Remember that? 
But he was, of course, in many, many radio programs and also in many television shows and, and in motion pictures. Very distinct voice. But he plays a real villain in this one. Someone that you are just going to, uh, well, I, 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 I'm not even going to say anymore. I'm just going to let you enjoy it. Outstanding sound quality on this one. So let's go back to May the 7th, 1955, and this episode of Gunsmoke entitled Potato Road. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. <laughs> Everybody, man, never saw Front Street so deserted. That'll look different about 12 hours from now, Doc. 12 hours? Oh, you mean midnight, yes. Uh, I hope I'm in bed by then. Ah, you usually are. Oh, I am, I know, yes. Well, I'd like to have a dollar for every night's sleep I've lost. Well, you can't have everything, Doc. Yeah, what do you mean by that? A man can't expect to get a lot of sleep if he's out bucking the tiger all night. Well, me? Gambling? And where do you think I get the money for that? Minister into the sick, same as any doctor. Well, it's not the sick I minister to in this town, so much as the wounded. <laughs> well, what difference does it make? Well, the wounded usually die before I get paid. Boot Hill patients, that's what they are. You know, you ought to try to pull more of them through, Doc. Oh, sure, yes. Cut up, shot up, beat up. It's a wonder any of them live. Well, I can't argue with you about that. Oh, uh, say, you mind if we stop in the general store here? Mr. Jonas was supposed to order me a new saddle blanket. Oh. Man, always frittering away your money on doodads. Huh? <laughs> it's for my horse, Doc, not me. Oh, yeah, look who's... Oh, hello, Kitty. Hello, Doc. Matt. <laughs> How are you, Kitty? <laughs> I'm hungry. I came in here 15 minutes ago on my way to dinner, and nothing's happened yet. Well, isn't Mr. Jonas here, Kitty? Well, if he is, he's hiding. Well, he's probably on his way to dinner. We ought to get a wagon and rob this place. That'd teach him to walk off and leave it. <laughs> You'd only spend your money if he was here, Kitty. You shouldn't complain. I've already spent it. I paid him in advance for three petticoats a month ago. Oh, how do you know they're here yet? I don't. But there's a big box behind the counter there with Santa Fe Railroad stamped all over it. Oh? No? It's a shipment of some kind. Well, why don't you open it? 
I got caught doing that, some U.S. Marshal might walk in here and shoot me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll do it. I'm not afraid. <laughs> Mr. Dillon. Oh, oh Miss Kitty. Doc. Hello, Chester. Chester. Uh, Mr. Dillon, there's a fellow come in the office, the darnest looking man you ever saw. He ain't very old, but he's got long yellow hair, and his teeth are kind of long and yellow, too, and he's so thin all over. Why, I swear it'd take two of them to make shadow. Why don't you bring him along, Chester? I'd like to meet him. Oh, no, you wouldn't, Miss Kitty. Not this fellow. There's something real mean about him, if he wasn't so crazy. Oh, while we're figuring that out, why don't you tell me what he wants, Chester? He wants you to come arrest his pa. What? He's out in the country somewhere. He didn't say he just worked. Well, why does he want me to arrest his pa? He didn't say that neither. But he said you'd better hurry. He said it's real serious. Yeah. All right, I'll go back with you. Go on, Kitty. Doc. See you later, Matt. Yeah, goodbye, Matt. Still here, Mr. Dillon. Well, I hope so too, Chester. Ah, hello. Hello. Yeah, I'm Marshal Dillon. You uh, wanted to see me? Found him, huh? What? I mean him. He found you. Yeah, I found him. Now tell him what you came for. I come for you, Marshal. Well, I know. Chester told me that. It's uh, something about your pa. Uh, pa needs arresting. Uh, what for? He killed a man. Shot him dead. Who is your pa? I'm Budge Grill, Marshal. All right, who'd your pa kill, Budge? I don't know. Some stranger, but he's laying there dead. I won't even bury him. Laying where? Where did heaven? Near home. Well, uh, where's home? Out yonder. Oh, forevermore. I don't know. Well, how. I don't know how to tell him to get there. Well, maybe you could show me how to get there, huh? That's what a comfort. Uh, Chester. Yes, sir. Look, uh, I'll understand if you don't want to go along. I'm kindly dizzy already, but I'll go, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> okay, then let's get started. That there's the house. The house? You can't call a one-room sod hut a house. Got a tater cellar out back. Yeah? Who lives in the tater cellar? Be a good place to keep somebody. Wouldn't it, Marshal? You think your pa's around, Budge? Ma'll be here. Better not ride no closer. Makes her mad. All right. Ma? Ma? She ain't beef. She'll be out. Good. There she is. Come on.
I got it, Ma. This one here. Who's the other one? I don't know. A fella called Chester. He was hanging around, so I brought him too. Now, look at here. Nobody uh, never mind, me Chester. Now. Never mind. Uh, Miss Groke, uh, I take it you know about your husband, too. Married 30 years, Ma. Uh, I, I mean about his killing this man. You talk to Paul about that when he gets here. None of my affair. Bud, you go get that rifle off in your saddle. There's no place to leave it. Sure, Ma. You people stay here. You sit down if you want. I'll go boil up some coffee and bring it out. Uh, uh, no, you don't need to bother, ma'am. No bother. Sat down? On what? She's crazier than he is, Mr. Dunn. Yeah. Yeah, they're half-starved, too. Yeah, this isn't much of a homestead. Ain't it terrible? Yeah, but even a lazy man could do something with it. It's not the best land I ever saw, Chester. Mark, gonna make you some coffee? Yeah, that's what she said. Mark likes folks to come visit sometimes. Sure. May I Uh, yes, ma'am. I'm gonna show you the house. You come here. That Chester fella can see it later. You better go, Marshal. Ma don't always ask people in. Only sometimes. Yeah. All right. That mean I don't get no coffee? Oh, you'll get some. Miss Groke? Come on in, Marshal. The door's open. Dark in here, ain't it? No windows. It's light enough. Then don't move, Marshal. I got this rifle aimed to bust your heart open. Yeah. I'll do it, too. Get your hands up by your shoulders, Marshal. I'll kill you if you don't. Sure. Budge? I got him, Ma. Give me a hand here. I'm coming. Rifle's here triggered, Marshal. You stand right there, Chester. I can shoot with one hand. Get back closer to it, Marshal. Get his gun, Budge. I got it, Ma. Let's move outside, Marshal. Go on. He throwed down on me with that rifle, Mr. Dillon. I, I couldn't do a thing. It happened to me, too, Chester. Let's lock him up, Budge. Lock us up? Hmm? In the tater cellar. What's this all about, bud? I'll tell you when he comes. Where is he? He's waiting. He'll come in late tomorrow. Your pa didn't shoot anybody, did he? No. But he's gonna shoot somebody, Marshal. He sure is. <laughs> Cussed cellar don't make much of a hotel, does it, Mr. Dillon? No. No, it doesn't, Chester. No light, not much air, damp, no blankets, nothing to eat. And I tried one of them potatoes. They're moldy. 
Must be afternoon by now. Yeah. You think them miserable idiots is ever going to let us out? I've been thinking all last night and this morning, Chester. I'm right back where I started. I don't know what they're doing. Or what they're gonna do. Sure beats me. Imagine that old woman pulling a dirty trick like that. You think she meant it, Mr. Dillon? She'd really have shot you? She meant it. Hey, I hear somebody coming. Don't you try nothing now. We got guns. Open it clear up, bud. They can't fight with nothing but taters. Okay, Paul. Step out here in the light where we can see you. Big one, Paul. That's a marshal, Paul. Uh, keep your gun on him, Budge. I guess you know who I am, Marshal. Yeah. I'm about the smartest fella in the whole country. Is that so? You're one man who ought to know that. Why? I got you caught, ain't I? Does that make you smart? Tell him, Paul. Tell him it won't hurt if you Shut up, now. bud. Don't you tell me what to do. We got a plan, Marshal. We got a real fine plan. And it was all my thinking. We're going to rob a bank, Marshal, right there in Dodge. We're going to hold it up and take all the money. Well, that's quite a plan, Grook. Ain't it? And you see how we're going to do it? There won't be nobody to stop us, because we'll... We'll already have you dead. Dead and buried. What? Sure. What do you think we got you out here for? You can't do that. Why not? It's no use arguing with him, Chester. He's crazy. Crazy? Because I'm going to get rich? You call that crazy? I do. Call him out, bud. We're going to shoot him now. Ma? Ma, come on out. You want to watch us kill him? Grilk. What? What makes you think if you robbed the bank, I'd be the only man after you? You're the marshal, ain't you? The money in that bank belongs to a lot of people. There'll be 50 men after you. Mm-hmm. Me and Ma and Budge, we're going to kill everybody in the bank. There won't nobody know nothing about it till we're gone. You won't live to get as far as the street. It's my plan. It's not yours. Shut up. You stand there, do you hear? Get over here, Ma. You want to walk? Mr. Dillon? They're really going to shoot us. Chester, look beyond them. Hmm? Out near that clump of elder there. Somebody's coming. Horseback. Yeah, don't let on. We'll have to move fast if we get a chance. Yes, sir. Paul, look. Oh, they've seen him. Get out of sight, bud. Get behind the house in case he gets too nosy. I'll fix him with you, Doug. That Calhoun fella, Paul. Hmm. There's no time for him to be paying a visit. Get back in the cellar. Get back in the cellar, Marshal. Go on, both of you. Go on, or I'll shoot you right now. He means it, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Uh, you keep quiet in there now. We gotta do something. 
And if we could just get close enough to one of them. There's that rider. Yeah. What are you doing here, Calhoun? We're too busy to be visiting today. He shot him. Doggone you, Butch. What do you do that for? I don't want you. You leave him alone, Pa. He didn't mean nothing about it. Always standing up for him, ain't you? Get on back in the house. God! Butch went and shot that Calhoun fella. Now he's dead. Yeah, we heard him. Oh, what were you yelling at me like that for? What's wrong with shooting him? We're leaving here, ain't we? We don't need no neighbors. You darn fool. Well, why, Paul? Now we got to bury him, don't we? Sure. Well, three graves is too many to dig before dark. Mm. And we'll have to wait till tomorrow before we can take care of Marshall and Chester here. Mm. Why do you think about that? You never think about nothing. What's worse, we'll have to feed him. Can't let nobody go hungry that long. Go tell them all. I'm going, Pa. Now, you... You two sat quiet. Bud, you'll bring you something. Well, if that don't beat all. Wait till Budge comes back, Chester. That's gonna be our chance. Eat whatever he brings us first, Mr. Dillon. We can eat any time, Chester. We can. How come I ain't had a bite since we left Dodge? Wait a minute. He's coming. Now you let me handle this. Yes, sir. Ma boiled you a little pot of tater peeling. Oh, my goodness. Now that sounds fine to me, bud. Here. Now take it. Don't put no salt in it. About out. Here now. Let me go, Marshal. You shut up or I'll bring you. He's got a knife in his belt. Get it, Chester. I got it. All right. Come on, get up, Budge. On your feet. Come on. If I'd had my rifle, you wouldn't have done this. Give me the knife, Chester. Here. All right, outside, Budge. Go on. And don't forget I got this knife right in your back. No, you stick me. Then do what I tell you. Paul, fix you. Paul! You cut me. You holler again and I'll put it all the way in. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I see him, Justin. Let's wait here. I'm going to get me a rock. Paul's going to be awful mad at you, Marshal. Is he? What's going on here? Make him let me go, Paul. Shut up. I'm holding a knife on his back, Groke. You throw down the rifle, or I'll shove it into him. It won't work, Marshal. You ain't stopping me. Budge will die if you don't do what I say. You ain't as smart as me, Marshal. You don't understand nothing. Drop that gun, Groke. No! He's gonna shoot! I'll get him! I did it. I hit him right in the head. Come on. I want that rifle. You think I killed him? Yeah, it looks like it. It's a big rock. Oh, that woman will be out here in a minute. Come on, let's get around to the side of the house. Around here. I thought sure she was going to come out shooting. She'll be out. I'll just wait here. 
We can hear the door when it opens. What are you going to do, Mr. Dillon? You can't shoot a woman. No, but maybe I can scare her. What about him shooting his own son? Well, that's something I sure never figured on. We'd have been in real trouble if it hadn't been for you. I'm going to have to hang your picture on my wall for that, Chester. Oh, it wasn't nothing. I, I used to go hunting with rocks when I was a kid. But one time I... Oh, there she is. Look, if she comes around the corner, maybe I can knock that rifle out of her hands. You stay back. You hear her coming? No. Come here. Come here, Chester. Where is she? She's over there by Budge. Take a look. Say, that ain't a rifle she's holding. It's a shovel. Come on. I guess she decided it's no use trying to fight now. And it wouldn't have surprised me if she hadn't. Nothing surprising about these people. Your, uh... Your husband shot him, Miss Grope. Mine. Poor Budge. I didn't figure a man would shoot his own son. Budge wasn't his son. What? He was my son. Not his. He hated Budge. He always hated him. Oh. My first husband died. He is a good man. He liked Budge. Well, Groke was right. I didn't understand everything. He made me do what I did. Said he'd whoop me terrible if I didn't. Uh, tell me, ma'am, would you have shot me yesterday if I hadn't put my hands up? Of course I would. I told you. You said I had to. That no matter. Gonna do without Budge. I ain't got nobody now. What am I gonna do? I don't know, ma'am. But we'll bury them for you. Hmm. You bury them too. I'll bury Budge. Can I have the shovel? Yeah. Come on, Justin. I feel kindly sorry for her, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, she's had it too rough, Chester. She doesn't know what she's doing anymore. Blaming her, it'd be like... Well, blaming the night for being dark. I guess there's nothing we can do for her. No. Not a thing in the world.
Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were John McIntyre, Virginia Gregg, and Vic Perrin. Harley Bear as Chester, Howard McNair as Doc, and Georgia Ellis as Kitty. You'll also enjoy Chesterfield's great radio shows. Perry Como sings all the top tunes on CBS Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Jack Webb stars in Dragnet on Tuesday night. Check your local listings. Listen to Gunsmoke again next week, transcribed for L&M Filters. to be, he has to be in the top five villains of all time on Gunsmoke. Chester, I don't know who else, I mean there's one or two, Tom Tully in that one, Pussycats, oh man, that was, he was horrible in that, there were several, but I'm sure John McIntyre, this this character here in, uh, in Potato Road, that was Gunsmoke from May the 7th, 1955, and that was a villain. out of time. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by and I'm so glad you met me. <laughs>